Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So I want to start with a, a little note that is kind of detached, but not really, from Genesis. Or something I want to share, something I've noticed at Quaybog Church. I'm really proud of you guys. Like, legit. Here's why. Because I'm watching people, like, grow in their relationship with Jesus, like, at home. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're talking about worship, connect, and serve a lot. And we're trying to do that because we're trying to instill that as something that happens to you individually. Like, I'm going to worship in my personal life. As in, I'm going to focus my life on the life giver. Right? And as a result of that, I want to connect. I want to I be willing to step into those messy places where God is at work. And that's kind of an annoying. That's kind of a dangerous place to go. But I'm going to do it because I'm connecting to God and I'm learning his heart. And then because of that, because I want to connect with people, and even if it's messy, like I want to serve people. And I'm watching that happen more and more and more. I love like the amount of prayer requests that are being shot all around like in our, in our connect groups or just like hearing people talk about praying for one another. That's a huge thing. Like when a church begins to pray for each other, that's like when you see just such health happen. That's when you see a real connection happen. And I'm watching needs be met, whether they be emotional needs or physical needs or financial needs. Like I'm watching people looking, like actively looking for ways to help other people. And that's a huge deal to me. That's a huge blessing because... Pastoral care cannot only be done by the pastors, right? And that's, that's an easy road to slip into both for pastors and for churches, right? It's like, well, that's what we hire you for, Kyle. You're supposed to take care of all the people, right? No, it's not. It's to help you and help you be aware of your need, your desire that needs to be there to care for the body because that's when it starts happening. Because here's what I know about myself, Pastor Tim, and even Pastor Dean, Terry, Brittany, there she is, uh, you know, Sarah, like people, you know, we have on our team, our leadership team. It's like, we can't do it all. And what ends up happening is I miss the funeral because I, I'm, I'm somewhere else. I have to be somewhere else. I miss the phone call as a follow-up because again, I'm in doing something else or I don't know something happened or I'm not there when somebody needs me. And it's like, and if that's only me that's doing that, that's where people get really hurt. And that's where the lack of care comes from. But now, like, what I'm watching over the last year or so happen is, like, our church is really starting to lean into this, like, being the church. And I just want to say, as your pastor, that's an incredible blessing. But it lets me know that people are being cared for and that we're getting it. And we're like, there's this, like, quiet momentum happening as Jesus does his work on his people. So I just want to start off by saying that's pretty awesome. And uh, I'm proud of you guys. Right? So. Now, how does that connect to Genesis? It actually does. I thought this out beforehand. Um, <laughs> So the, the thing that we see in Genesis is uh, like it's a foundational book, you know? And so when we read Genesis, we have to read it in that, that understanding that God is introducing a lot here in this book. And so we need to be able to take that, apply it to our life, and then also see that as the lens for really the rest of the Bible as well. So I found a quote from this guy, John Lennox. Uh, he, he's a brilliant guy. He's a scientist. He is a mathematician. And he is a Christian. And so I love reading his stuff because he thinks way deeper and way bigger than I do. He's just one of those guys for me. And he has this uh, quote that I want to share with you about these opening verses of Genesis that connect to what I just said to you about what the body is doing. So here's what John says. It's one thing to wrestle with the meaning 
of the days of Genesis, right? And we're going to do that some, right? Obviously, in this book. It's one thing to wrestle with the meaning. You know, what is it saying? But, he says, it's another thing to understand, apply, and live the whole message of Genesis. That is a completely different thing. And the point, if we aren't doing the latter, I'm not sure the former will profit us much. You know, we can dive into the weeds and we can try to like understand every word and every nuance and everything about the Genesis account. But if we miss the point and purpose of these verses, we miss the point and purpose of really the Bible, right, as a whole, of what's being said about God. And so there's deep truth that God is trying to deliver here about himself, about the nature of the universe, about humans. And if we get lost in details that aren't really the point, we're going to miss what God is saying. We're going to miss the grandeur. We're going to miss the awe, and we're going to miss the wonder. We're going to miss what should inspire worship in us. You know, that there's a God that's like this, and yet he wants relationship with somebody like me. Right? Like me. That's an amazing thing. Right? So what is being revealed in this is really, really important. So our guiding question for this series so far is what is the Genesis account telling us about the Creator Himself? What exactly is going on there? Because this is the point I don't want us to miss, this next one. The creation account, the focus, isn't what? It's who. Right. It's not a what. It's a who that we need to be thinking about. Right. God is revealing things, yes, about creation. But if we get mired down and trying to, like, uh, I was talking with Paul right after the first service, and he said, just because we can't understand doesn't mean we need to try to put box into, and God into a box we can't understand. We're talking about a creator who is before space, time, and matter. Explain that. Mm. We can't even explain gravity or energy, right? We know what they are and what they do, but to try to explain them is like really difficult. So let's not try to put God into a box that we can explain easily. Because when I hear people do that, I'm like, man, they're missing the point. They've got God in this comfortable little box. Because if you can put God in a comfortable little box, you don't need to obey him, do you? Yeah, let's let that be awkward. Yeah. Let's let that be real awkward. So the focus of creation account isn't creation. And if we can put God in this tidy little box that I understand, man, he loses his power. He loses his grandeur, the awe, and the worship that goes with it. So with these creation days, there's a question that Genesis is really trying to answer. Is this a plausible answer to our beginnings? Genesis is going to put forth an answer for how we got here. So the thing that we can wrestle with, even as skeptics, is this a plausible answer to our beginnings? And as we approach this stuff, I'm doing Genesis in a way that may frustrate some people because I'm not trying to teach through every single detail of every verse and every word in every verse. I'm trying to help us approach Genesis in a way that we can understand the grandeur of God and the message of what's being said. So I'm not going to parse out every Hebrew word. That's cool. And I'll do some of that stuff on my midweek videos. So if you're interested in that stuff, check in on the podcast, check in online. Uh, we'll be doing a little bit more of that. But generally for all of us, it's like, man, let's really grasp what God is saying in this. Because I bet if we do, it's going to change how we approach God. I bet. You know, because again, the focus is the creator. So as we do this together, I'm going to be teaching about Genesis, how to think through Genesis, not just what it says on the individual days and on the individual stories. Because what we do with the, the characters we meet and the stories we hear and the creation days, 
We take creation days and we just try to put them in this like a, a limited time box or an infinite time box. And then we want to die and we think that's the purpose. And then we take the stories, the characters, the themes that we have in Genesis and we keep them as little fairy tales from our childhood. And none of that, none of that is going to impact the way that you live. Because it's just simple, right? That's not going to matter when your life falls apart, right? If it's 24 hours or if it was a billion years. That's not going to help you when your best friend gets hit by a car or you're dying of cancer. That doesn't matter anymore, right? It doesn't. What we need to know is that there's a creator of the universe, this powerful that we're reading right now. Let that inspire us and then know that that's the same Jesus Christ that would give his life so we could have a new beginning, a new creation in him. So we could have eternal life. There's really big, deep implications for what we're talking about this morning. So let's not minimize our creator. And as we go, let's do this with hum, uh, humility. I want to stay as humble as possible, myself, us, and I want to stay curious about what is being said in these verses, okay? So if we want to die over position, let's at least be humble about it and let's stay curious about it. If you can follow this advice in life, you're going to be a lot happier person as well. Side note, right? So, some, th- some things to think about, some major themes, again, because I'm teaching about Genesis. We're not just jumping right into the verse every week. Let's think through Genesis. What are some foundational things that God is saying, okay, this is what a biblical framework looks like. This is what a biblical worldview looks like. Because this is important, if you're a Christian, to think through. And if you're not, if you're curious, if you're just kind of checking Jesus out or God out, like, what is a biblical worldview? How do we think through the lens of what God has given us? So, first... Um, the very first verse of the Bible is what? In the beginning, God. Now, the Hebrew word behind that is Elohim. Elohim is an interesting word because it's not Yahweh. Why would God, in the very first verses of the Bible, say in the beginning, Elohim, instead of in the beginning, Yahweh? There's a reason. There's a purpose. There's a point. So I have a video I found uh, through the Bible Project. I love using their little videos because they're quick, they're creative, and they, they get to the point in an artistic way, but also in a direct way. So I want to introduce us to this, uh, this word God, this word Elohim, that we're going to see over and over and over and over again as we hit. We're going to just quickly hit the days today, but you're going to hear it. And then Elohim said, and then Elohim said, and then Elohim said. So check this out. When most people think about the story of the Bible, they think of a story about God and humans. But remember, we learned that there's a whole other cast of characters that appears throughout the Bible and plays a really important role. Right. Spiritual beings, angels, demons, and the like. Right. And in the Bible, they inhabit the heavenly realm, which is parallel to our earthly reality and actually overlaps with it. Now, all of these spiritual beings have their own unique characteristics. But here's what's fascinating. The biblical authors have one word that can refer to all the inhabitants of the spiritual realm. In Old Testament Hebrew, the word is Elohim, and in New Testament Greek, it's Theos. But here's the thing. This word gets translated in lots of different ways depending on which being is referred to. Angels, gods with a lowercase g, or even God with a capital G. Wait, so one word can refer to any of these beings? Yeah. It's because Elohim is a category title. It can designate any spiritual being that belongs to the heavenly realm. Okay, a title, not a name. Like the word mom. Yeah, right. The word mom can refer to lots of really different kinds of people, but they all share in common the same role in a family. And then let's say a group of brothers and sisters are talking and one says, hey, it's mom's birthday. They're using the title like it's a name. But it would be clear that they're referring not to any mom, but their mom. 
Yes, and the same goes for the biblical authors. They called their God Yahweh, which is the name revealed to Moses, but they also sometimes refer to him with the category title Elohim, using it like a name, because they all know who they're referring to. Okay, but don't the biblical authors think that Yahweh is in a class of his own, not like any other? They do, which is why they say things like Yahweh is the Elohim of Elohim, that is, the chief Elohim among all the others. Or they'll say, there's no Elohim beside Yahweh, meaning no other spiritual being compares to him because only he is the ruler and creator of all things. Okay, I'm following, but I thought the Bible taught monotheism, which means there's just one God. Well, the biblical authors are claiming that among all of the spiritual beings out there, only one is the source and creator of all things, including the Elohim. That's biblical monotheism, that one Elohim, Yahweh, is above all other Elohim, that is, the other spiritual beings. There you go, Elohim. So God is saying something about himself by using this, uh, this title, Elohim. And so it's important for us, again, what is Genesis saying about the Creator? There's, there's things being revealed to us that are important to absorb. And so some other biblical worldview things, first uh, after that would be that God exists, right? I mean, that's in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. So he's saying something about himself. Theism, God does exist. Atheism, he doesn't, right? Theism, biblical worldview, everything begins with God. Atheism, everything begins with the universe. So a biblical framework, understanding that God exists. And not only does he exist, but he's the eternal creator, right? Again, wrapping your mind around he existed before time, space, energy, matter, everything, and then he spoke it all into existence. Like, that's the kind of, that's, that's the space that we're stepping into. So this is a very important part of, of who we are because, again, only God can bring new created things. Like, that's new life. That's a theme in the Bible. Next, the, like, not only is he creator, but he is distinct from his creation. So this is important, as we're going to see in a little bit, because when it comes to, like, earth worship or spirit worship or, like, astrology and stuff like that, that's all, like, that's just sin is what it is. You can call it witchcraft, you can call it paganism, whatever you want to call it. But, like, spirituality and, like, things like that, like, have snuck into Christianity over a long period of time. And it's like we're giving the credit of God, the glory of God, the worship of God to these, like, these just created things. And so this, you're going to see this is a big deal. It starts right here in Genesis, and then it goes all across the Bible. It's a big, big deal. And then, lastly, uh, or no, second to last, God is intentional. I love this part, and we're going to, obviously, we're going to see that in the days of creation. And then lastly, is God is personal. Uh, because that right there is, again, lighting candles is because Jesus is the proof that God is personal. Like, he came to earth so that we would know that God is personal. The creator of the universe would willingly give himself for us, for eternity, for a new life now. Like these are, again, these are huge themes that all start right here in Genesis and get played out all the way across the Bible. Now, as far as the actual days themselves, we're going to look at days two through six today. And again, we're not going to do a super dive into each one, but we're just going to look at the days. We're going to look at kind of what they have in common. What are they saying about God? Like, what does that mean for us? Things like that. But I do want you to notice the symmetry because there's a rhythm in Genesis 1 that can easily be overlooked. You have, you know, the whole darkness, the light thing. You have creation and then kind of rest, creation and rest. And you have this, there's symmetry, there's movement, there's rhythm that's uh, actually pretty beautiful in the Genesis account. And there's a symmetry I wanted to point out to you because I don't know if you've thought about it much. I hadn't really before. But on day one, you have the light of God being revealed. And then day four, you have the lights, the luminaries, which we'll look at today, being placed, you know, being made and then placed, it says. And then on day two, you have the sky and the sea. 
And then again, rhythm. Day five, you have birds filling the sky and the sea creatures filling the sea. Similarly, on day three, you have land and vegetation. And then day six, you have the things that need land and vegetation, animals and humans. So there's a symmetry. There's an intention of how God is doing this rhythm of creation. And then day seven, of course, is the Sabbath day rest. And we'll look at that in a few weeks as well. Just what God wants for us out, that, out of that Sabbath day rest. Another important idea, just to further dive into the Yom thing and the evening and morning thing. Because I said it last week, people have said to me before, every time Yom's used in the Old Testament, it's always 24 hours. It's not. The very first time it's used in Genesis 1-5, it's only about light, and that's not even daylight. It's just the light of God is named. And so this, is, this idea that we need to get hung up on time is not necessary. Evening and morning also about completion. And we get this uh, from Psalm 90 as an example I want to give you. And if you've ever been in a funeral that Dean and I have done, and probably a lot of other pastors as well, you're going to hear Psalm 90 read because it's this, the idea about the, the course of life is talked about in Psalm 90. And that's why it's really valuable. And Psalm 90 also is written by Moses. Same dude that wrote Genesis. It's the same cultural context, same way of thinking. And evening and morning is not, and Yom even, are not just about time. There's, there's an idea sometimes that's covered. For example, Psalm 90. For in your sight, God, a thousand years are like yesterday. So sometimes it gets translated as yesterday, but the word, the Hebrew word is Yom. That passes by, like a few hours of the night. So there's a contrast between verse 4 and 5. For four, God is just like this eternal outside of time. Like time does not matter to him. He's not bound by it. However, verse five, you end their lives and they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. It's about the brevity of life, right? And then verse six, again, this evening and morning idea. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. So again, that phrase really is trying to communicate something being completed. Something has run its course. And so at the end of every day, God is saying, and that my creative work for that day has ended. I've done what I wanted to do that day. And then it moves on. The rhythm of completion. So to look at days two through six, there's something I, I would love you to, to look at. Then God said, and it was so. Every day, then Elohim said, and it was so. Again, what is that communicating about God? Awe, wonder, inspiration, right? It's like, man, there's a God that can do these kinds of things. Genesis putting forward the answer to our beginnings, right, in this way. So let's jump into uh, day two, the heavens. So then God said, let there be an expanse. And rakia is the Hebrew word there. And I'm going to dive into that midweek because uh, that is an interesting word. Um, but also, though, that's where the birds are going to be. That's where the stars are going to be in the sun. Like all that is going to be in the expanse. So let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse, separated the water and under the expanse from the water, from the expanse above. And it was so. So God's creating an atmosphere. He's creating sky. He's separating water. And he called the expanse sky. And that's the same word, shamayim. That's from Genesis 1.1. God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens is shamayim. And I'll get a little bit more into that midweek as well. Just the interesting connections between those two words. Evening came, then morning, the second day. So, cultural note. Who's God speaking to 3,500 years ago? It's kind of the same today. Is that water represents chaos. Water brings fear for people. And water also represents separation. So, God is speaking into a culture that sees this in like a water in almost a mythical way. And God's saying, no, 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 I've created that. I know how terrifying and big it seems, but 
uh, I'm going to bring order out of the chaos. Like, I, I, I'm in that. There's no reason to be fearful. And that's why when you see Jesus out on the water, right, and these guys are all terrified and they're all scared, and Jesus speaks directly into that because he's the one that can calm the waves. Why? Because he's the creator of those waves. Genesis, New Testament, right, the connections. And so you have uh, also, though, um, in Revelation, which I think is interesting, when God sees his vision of heaven, like the heaven that will be one day, there's no sea. So, again, kind of he's speaking into that. If there's no sea, what does that mean? Well, there's, that represents fear and chaos and separation. There's not going to be any more fear, separation, and chaos in God's heaven, right? And so, again, culturally, it's kind of cool to understand what's being spoken about God with these details. Then next, we've got land and vegetation. Here we go again. Then God said, then Elohim said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. There's intention. There's order, and it was so. So for those uh, that have heard, you know, Mother Earth, Mother Nature, things like that, like those are really things, though, that we need to take seriously because God is saying, look, the, there's no special spiritual power. There's nothing supernatural about the earth. It's just something I created. Like, don't give what God has done to his creation. Romans 1 said that that was a big mistake that they were making. Instead of worshiping the creator, they were instead worshiping creation. So if you're looking to the earth for spiritual answers and guidance, that's called sin. It's called idolatry, and you need to call that out, and you need to be, like, real about that. And some people are like, oh, come on, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And, like, in the next day, we're going to talk about astrology and, like, the issue with that. Like, I want you to stand before God and say, Lord, I, I, you know I love you, but I'm just worshiping this stuff a little bit. And see how God feels about that. Lord, just a little bit of worship. I'm just going to take a little bit of your deity, your little bit of your power. I'll give it to the things that you've created, and I want to look to them for my answers in life. And see how God feels about that. Oh, oh, that's a great point. I never thought about that. Yeah, go ahead. God's not going to do that. And so we need to take these things seriously because all the earth is is something that God created for a purpose. And that's the crescendo of this story is what is that purpose? Because Colossians 1.17 would say this about Jesus. He is before all things, again, because he's God, echoes of Genesis, and by him all things hold together. That's a biblical worldview. We give Jesus the credit. We give God the credit because the credit is his. So the earth produced, it listened, it did what it was supposed to. It produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, the order, the intention. And trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the third day. Things are starting to come together. They're doing what they were supposed to do. And that's why God says it is good, because they're doing what they're intended to do. But the plants are still missing something. They're missing the sun, right? As far as the natural order going forward, now we get their introduction and what they're for. So on day four, we get the luminaries. Then Elohim said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Why? Because before this, nothing was separating the day from the night as far as stars go, as far as the sun go. They will serve as signs, very specifically, for the seasons, because the sun's going to govern our seasons. It's going to govern our days. And it's going to govern our years. So there's nothing supernatural about these things. They are placed in the solar system so that they can do a very natural thing for us. So there, were no, there was nothing governing the days before this. So if you really want to like, think 24 hours, really this is kind of the introduction. And God says that's what they were for, was to govern the seasons, days, and years. So 
They will serve as signs to do these things, to govern these things, and they will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. So similarly to like looking at like the Mother Earth thing, like if you're all about your signs and you're all about astrology and like you're leaning into that and you say you're a Christian, you need to know in God's view, he's saying you're taking what is mine and you're giving it to something that I've created. Right? Again, we can label it however we want, but in God's eyes, that's something that is a sin because you're taking his and giving it to something he made. Right? Think about how that feels at work. So you do something and you're like, man, that was amazing. And your boss comes along and he's like, hey, good job, Chuck. And, you know, it's like, no, no, you mean Kyle. And you, uh, that's what you meant to say. No, no, Chuck, he did this. is great. I just want to give him credit for this. And you're like, no, but I did it. No, nah, I know, but I think we should all thank Chuck. <laughs> yeah, let that happen to you. And then maybe you'll understand, right? So it's like, don't do that to God. That's a big deal to him. And then notice the made and the placed here in verse 16. So God made the two great lights. And notice he calls them two great lights. The greater light not the sun, to rule over the day, and the lesser light, not the moon, to rule over the night, as well as the stars. Right? He's taken any mythology out of them, because he's speaking to a culture that very much worships these things. They're not even the sun and the moon. It's just the greater light and the lesser light. And God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. Like, that's what it's for. It doesn't have any supernatural power. It has natural power. To rule the day and the night and separate light from darkness. Right? And God saw that it was good. Evening came then morning, and then the fourth day. What are the sun and the moon for? They reflect the glory of God. That's what the heavens do. They don't steal from the glory of God. That's not what they're there for, right? They just reflect it. And then day five, now he's going to start filling. Now he's going to have more creative works being done. Then Elohim said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly over the earth and across the expanse. There's that word again, expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures, and that's tannin in Hebrew. And I'm going to hit that one because that's really fascinating midweek. Uh, I don't have time today to do it, but that's fun to do. So we're going to do that midweek. And every living creature that moves and swarms in the water. Again, unbelievable complexity now in the waters. You got it on the land and the vegetation, this unbelievable complexity. And now you've got it in the seas happening. According to their kinds, intention, order. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, attention, intention, order. And God saw that it was good. And this is an interesting, uh, like, demarcation here. And then God blessed them. He's not blessed anything else yet. But it's like the things with breath are different, right? So be fruitful. Why does he bless them? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, morning, and then the fifth day. So there's something different now. Like, don't miss this. What is this saying about God, his intention, his, his purpose for creation? God blesses them, not so that they could be happy or that they could, you know, be joyful or something like that. Blesses them so they can be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas. And the same thing is said to humans. So there's something important about this, you know, this male-female, this binary view of how we're created and how that is supposed to be a blessing for the earth, right? There's created intention there. So we need to understand, like today, of course, like this is a huge issue. Like everybody wants to fight and die over trans stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, we're made this way and that way. And it's like, yes, we are. But we're supposed to be in that a blessing to the earth. So there is created intent there. But just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you need to hate them. And they may hate you, but you can still have conversations. I just did it again over the weekend, talking with somebody that did not share my view. And I said, but I do believe there's goodness, there's purpose, there's intent in the male-female-femaleness of creatures of mammals and then of humans but it doesn't mean i hate people that don't agree with me i just do believe that they're that god did this on purpose and there's goodness in that and there's intent in that and so we do get again these biblical worldviews these biblical framework for this kind of stuff there 
But God blessed them. There's something unique about those with breath. It's interesting. And then lastly, the animals. Day 6A, right? So he gets a little bit more. He's got the waters covered. He's got the birds covered. And now he's got the animals he's going to talk about. So then Elohim said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. Intention. There's order. Livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. The livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. So unbelievable diversity, but order and intention. And God saw that it was good. So he steps back and he's looking at all these things, this unbelievable diversity and this created order. And it's, 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 good. it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Right? It's good. But it's all leading somewhere because there is a climax. There is a crescendo coming, coming uh, and it doesn't end in animals. There's something much greater, much, with much more purpose that's coming. It's the point of the whole creative order, right? It's where the direction was going all along. But for that, you're going to have to come back next week because we don't have time today. Right? But it's going to be good, I promise. You should come back. All right? So what do we learn, though? What do we think? Again, to, to just drive us back to our main point, what is all of this saying? There's a reason that I just I wanted to just hit them quickly and just think through how to think through more than just let's, like, let's tear all this apart because I do believe God revealed this because he's saying something about himself that he wants us to know. So what is the creation account telling us about the creator? And then read this with me, this next one. The focus of the creation account isn't creation, it's the creator. Yes, there's beautiful things about creation that we can learn. Yes, there's all sorts of awesome things to question and speculate and even like debate about. However, let's not lose sight of the fact that God is revealing something that really can drive us to worship, that can really change the way that we live, that can really affect your marriage, your kids, your job, the way you handle stress, the way you handle shame, the way you handle sin, the way you handle addiction, right? Like, knowing that I belong to this person, this creator, is amazing. That that creator would do this for me, that he would die so that we could be lighting candles and celebrating new life on earth and new life in eternity, man, that changes everything. If you believe in these words and know that this is the God that's, that's revealing himself, you're not going to put them in little boxes that you can control. You're not going to make so many excuses and give yourself such permission to sin. You're not going to think that you can just disregard what God says and he's okay with it. Oh, he understands how I am. No, he doesn't. He's not just going to be like, yeah, I'm okay with your sin because he created us. He knows what is best for us. And so there's a trust there. There's a leaning in when somebody's a jerk to you and you're like, well, Jesus says to love him and pray for him. He says, stand up for truth and fight for truth, but do it like Jesus. Oh man, what's that mean? How do I stand for truth and fight for truth and be like Jesus? If you lean into Jesus and you're going to find out, you know, you're going to know how to fight like Jesus would want you to. We don't just lay down and let sin happen. That's not the thing at all. But leaning into this stuff helps you really understand like, okay, this is something that I need to know. This stuff, I can't just keep putting God in my back pocket. Like this is the creator of the universe we're talking about here. And that affects the way we follow him. Amen. So let me close out. Lord, I thank you for what you revealed in these words, Lord, um, that you are the Elohim, Lord. You are Yahweh, God, and, and that means something. And I just, it just amazes me, as, as Psalm 8 said, that you would do all this, and then, but you would think about us. You would think about this kid from Ohio uh, that just meant nothing to anybody. And yet, the creator of the universe had his eyes on him. 
That's a pretty impressive thing, Lord, so I thank you for that. I just pray these things are going to change us, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to continue to be the church, Lord Jesus. I just pray your spirit's going to continue to move in this church and in this atmosphere. And just let us reach more people, Lord, with the hope of the gospel, with the one that can bring new creation, Lord. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.